Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, your host, and every Wednesday, I'll be interviewing a variety of non-professionals in the real estate industry to help you get closer to your goals to buying your first real estate investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three actionable steps that you can take today in order to get you 1% closer to buying your first real estate property. Today, we have Nico. Nico has a BS in business marketing and management and a minor in economics. He also holds a master's degree in Spanish language education and spent the past 20 years as a Spanish teacher while investing in real estate. Apart from teaching and investing in real estate, Nico is an entrepreneur, a coach, a mentor, a leader, and he's an avid surfer, a woodworker, a traveler, and extremely proud father. Nico began investing in real estate in 2012 with a single family development project and has since transitioned to multifamily. He is currently a GP for over 50 units valued over $6 million. Let's listen to Nico, everybody. Tune in. So Nico, tell, tell tell the world a little bit about who you are, what you do, what your goals are. Yeah, Mecca. So I am a full-time Spanish teacher for 20 years now who is transitioning into the world of multifamily real estate. I, my transition has been now for four years, just about. Actually, this month is four years, man. 2019, I started my journey into multifamily real estate and I am, I'm making it happen, you know, one day at a time, one deal at a time as best as I possibly can. Okay, cool. So you're a full-time teacher is teaching Espanol. What made you even get into real estate? Yeah. Awesome question. And it's like my origin story, right? And I, over the years, I'm trying to perfect this and I've never really sat down and perfected it, but there's two paths that I see here. Number one was a general desire and love of real estate, which I'll expand on. And then number two was a desire and need to fill, to fill uh, something else, which I'll also expand on. So I ha- I've always been interested in real estate, man. It's so weird. As a kid, I was I was saving and collecting money. I actually rolled it up in a little wad and I would collect collect money, telling my parents I was going to buy a house one day. That's what I what I had always planned on doing as a kid. And I never, you know, did it. Some circumstances didn't work out the way I thought, but I didn't actually buy a house with that money. I, I ended up losing that money for, for other reasons. But I ended up did at, at one point in 2012, I did buy a piece of land. Uh in Nicaragua. And I decided to build a small house on that. And that was my first uh, adventure into real estate. And I loved it. I loved the fact, and I ended up selling it as well, eight years later, but I loved the fact that I could buy something and sell it for more money. And that was my first experience with real estate. Um, And throughout that, those eight years of owning that, I did also try to buy duplexes here where I live in New York. And uh, at that point, the duplexes were selling for six to $800,000. Um, it was hard to get into. There was no cash flow, but I saw the upside of, you know, I, I was thinking of it as an appreciation play, something that I could flip down the road. Um, and it just wasn't working out. I couldn't figure out how to buy those duplexes. They were too expensive, no cash flow. I didn't do it. And I ended up going the route of multifamily, which is the second uh, realm of why I got involved in, into real estate. And that's because I, I was struggling financially. And I just, I thought that to, to fill that void of struggling financially, I should pick up more jobs. And I ended up working day and night all the time, nonstop on my W2, which I was a teacher and I still am. Before school, I created a program for kids to where I can get, generate more income, where it was, a, it was called the a, uh, I called it life fitness, where I would teach kids how to work out and be emotionally uh, adaptable to the changing world. It was an emotional intelligence factor that I, I, I did with them with meditating. After school, I was coaching. 
all year. I was doing, you know, in the, in the fall, I would do soccer in this uh, spring, I would do track. And in the summer I was coaching uh, uh, a program for surfing. I was working with teachers at night, teaching them. And then I opened up a wood shop. So I had, and I was doing everything myself. I was, uh, I created a website, which I built myself. I was doing online sales and I was actually making the, the materials as well, the, from the cutting boards to uh, different products that I would sell. And I was doing everything, marketing, everything myself. I was just, I, I was burning the wick at both ends, as they say, and I was going to not survive if I did this for too long. This went on for almost two years before I decided or heard about passive income. And I said, I need to switch me being the active person in all of this to becoming more passive, earning more passive income, something that pays me. The Purple Book helped out with that. You buy businesses, you buy real estate, you buy something that will pay you. So the Purple yeah, Book, what's the Purple Book? Oh, man, the Purple Book is uh, Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was the first one that got me going mentally and, and on this right on this path. And then I joined the Jake and Gino program uh, that got me kicked off with education and networking and, and just realizing what's possible. I did my first deal a year later in 2020. And then I joined MIH shortly after Make It Happen Mastermind with you and did a few more deals. So that's my basic story about why I got involved in real estate. So a bunch of the audience right now probably don't own any investments or trying to get into real estate. You said that you were struggling financially. So what was the mindset that you had to make more money? I truly believe that anyone, no matter where you come from, no matter where you are in life, you can get started no matter what to get into real estate. But um, what was the switch? You said you were struggling financially. You had to find another way. How did you keep pushing? Yeah. So I'm still there. I'm still working through it. So the ultimate goal is to, you know, be more hands off or at least get, let's say, get rid of my W2. Let's say retire from that. If I could focus full time on, on real estate, I could be able to get rid of and drop my W2. I'm not even close to it, man, because as you know, you have to gain a lot of equity in deals and that equity has to be working for you to, you know, to earn a return. So a lot of people say, well, what's my num my retirement number? If it's 10K a month, then you need $1.5 million invested at 8% to get that 10K a month. And I'm not there yet. But what I'm doing at this point is continuing to be active while I gain equity in deals, which will eventually, you know, one upon sale, uh, generate some a return that I could like a, a chunk of capital that I could then redeploy to start earning passive income in deals, whether that be my deals that I'm running and actively managing, or whether that be passive in other people's deals, you know? So I'm not there yet, uh, but the, the ultimate goal, and I, I didn't, this, I'm still financially struggling, but the mentality switched, which is key. Now, instead of me being the sole provider of my income, I'm buying things like real estate that is providing income for me. And that's the key. Because I realized there was one day that I hurt my knee when I was working in the wood shop. And I said, what if I can't work? What if I can't physically do this anymore? How am I going to survive? And that was really scary. I see. That's that's great. Why real estate, though? So I did. I went to school for business business and it was my degree was business marketing and management with a minor in economics. So why don't you just play with the stock market or yeah. um, anything else? So there's different uh, tax repercussions or tax implications rather with different investments, right? For example, the stock market, um, it, you're, you're, you're subject to capital gains taxes. 
on all, everything that you like, let's say you had $10 in a stock and it was then worth $20, you're going to get taxed probably 50% of that, right? So you're going to lose that, that, um, <clears throat> that gain. So it's not an actual, you're not actually keeping that, that doubling of the money, but in real estate, you are able to keep a lot more based on favorable tax laws that favor owning real estate. Um, that's one thing. And then another thing is control. I don't like to just, you know, I feel like, you know, things like the stock market is gambling a bit because you, you can't control the business that you're betting on. There are people, other people in control, whereas in real estate, we control the property. For example, you and I, we're making all these decisions on this 10 unit property. And those decisions are going to make or break us. Right. And, and I like having that control. I love it. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're very passionate about this. How long did it take you to get your first multifamily deal? Um, once you started getting into it and started doing your research, I know you said you, uh, you joined Jake and Gino, would, would, would you say that's a big part of the reason why you got that deal? Definitely. So I began educating myself at the end of 2019. It was December, November, December. And, um, and I was, I go deep on something. So I, I knew I needed to learn and I was really focusing hard on my education and networking with others. And, and I, it was a year later that we actually closed on my first deal. And it, I was not leading that one. Uh, I didn't have enough experience or knowledge or, or really, I wasn't ready to close that on my own. I jumped in as a co-sponsor, a co-GP. So uh, that's one of the best ways that I say people get involved if you're eager to get involved in a deal is you rely on uh, operators that have the experience and the knowledge and the know-how uh, to take down a deal. And you jump in as a co-GP and you provide them with something. Usually that's capital. So I, I reached out to my, uh, lo my investors, my friends and family, and I raised some capital for that deal. And I was also a participant on the asset management team uh, because you have to have an active role. You're not allowed... This was a syndication. You're not allowed to not be active on the gen general partnership side. So one year into my go into my journey, I closed. It, it sounds crazy. A hundred and ninety four unit property in Columbus, Ohio. That's big time. That's big time. And for those who don't know what a syndication is, can you explain that a little bit further? Yeah, a syndication is where we pool resources together to buy something that we couldn't necessarily do on our own. And typically that looks like uh, a certain uh, part, general partnership team, a management team. It could be anywhere from, you know, two to like 10 people. Uh, you want to keep it low though. Uh, so, so it doesn't, so the voices don't get muddled or th and there's not too many conflicts of interest and or differing opinions rather. And you maintain a certain portion of equity just for managing the deal, right? And in our, in this case, it was a 30% split for the general partnership team and the, and the limited partnership team or limited partners get 70%. So that 70% is, is where the equity comes in. So we raise capital from people who are not going to participate in the deal managerially, but they're going to participate with equity, with capital. So they bring the capital, the money, and we manage the deal for them. That's essentially what a syndication is. Cool. So let's say I'm a limited partner. You know, I don't want to be active, but I'm a billionaire or something and I don't trust stocks. You know, COVID happened. I don't know what's going to go on. Why would I put my money into you as a GP? How, how are you able to raise this money and where's the credibility coming from if you don't necessarily have the money yourself or in, um, you don't have much experience? You said your first deal was 119. Why would someone put money into someone like you in that case? Yeah, it's an awesome question, Emeka. And 
you know, I don't, I think that we're on the right track because I don't want people to get discouraged. This is totally possible. Now for me, and take this example, all the listeners out there, if you don't have any experience, you rely and lean on the experience of the operators that you're working with. That's why it's essential to go as a co go in as a co-sponsor and not try to do it on your own. Um, so I was a co-GP and I, I presented my team who had an extensive background to my investors. I said, look guys, I am a part of this team, but I am not the driving factor here. I am not the lead decision maker on this team. We're going to rely on this team who has this track record to ensure that your funds and your capital is safe. Now, I do have an influence and I'm going to protect your money as, as best as I can because you're my friends and my family. But we have to rely on, on trusted systems and processes and trusted uh, general partners like this team that I worked with to ensure that, the, the, that your, your money is safe. I love it. I love it. And I know there's ways to get into deals with no money, but to do that, it's not necessarily easy. You have to provide value. So being a GP, you've been a co-GP, you're currently a GP for multiple deals. Um, what would you say are the, the main points of value that someone can bring to the table? I'd say two are the main ways. Number one is finding the deal. And number two is bringing capital. If you find the deal, you're automatically in it, right? I mean, if you can find the deal and lock it up, get it under contract, which is not easy to do, you're automatically in the deal and you can kind of farm it out to somebody who can manage it well and get make sure it closes, et cetera. I would love if somebody came to me who is, uh, you know, boots on the ground, let's say, who found the deal, got it on the contract, but didn't know what to do at that point. I would love it. I would give them equity in the deal or buy the deal from them like a wholesale style. And then number two is bringing capital to the deal. So we need deals and we need money to close those deals. So there's always going to be a need for capital raising or capital to come in and we pull that from a multi multitude of people. For example, on this 10 unit, you know, we had a certain amount of capital between three or four of us. And then we brought in Sasha who had the majority line share of the capital. And that is invaluable, right? So we assigned a certain percentage of ownership on the general partnership side for different buckets. And one of the main categories is bringing that capital because it's so important. You can't close the deal if you don't have the money to do it. And I want to kind of uh, switch over to asset management. So for those who don't know, Nico is my partner. We do own a 10 unit in Lakeland, Florida together. And throughout this entire process, I literally watch all the emails go back and forth. So when it comes to sourcing a deal, it's not easy. It requires lots of communication and with brokers, insurance, tax guys, you name it. So how are you able to build this relationship with so many different people? And what would you say is the key to continue to grow that relationship and make sure maybe if you don't get a deal this year, next year, you can contact them and just rely on them. I always speak with brokers. I know that there's different ways to find deals that's going direct to seller, being involved in different meetups and wholesale groups and, and fix and flip groups. You, you never know where you're going to find the next deal, but I'm constantly looking on, on a multitude of, of resources, those being the ones that I just said, but I don't go direct to seller myself necessarily. I typically rely mostly on the brokers. That's their full-time job is to call and, and, and build relationships with people and families so that they can be the one to list their properties. I do feel that the brokers have the majority of the deals. So I go to them and it's the cheapest route for me, right? I don't have to pay for a cold caller. I don't have to spend my time calling or texting. Uh, it's the cheapest way to go, except for the fact you're probably going to pay a bit more when you do lock the deal up. That being said, that same deal can be uh, marketed 
when you're ready to sell it by the same broker who will also maintain that same level of, of, I guess, increased pricing, right? And people buy it. And because they know how to present a deal and package a deal work properly and make the deals work um, for the subsequent seller. Now, I maintain relationships with, with brokers on a very frequent level. So I talk to them weekly, if not every other week. And I check in just to see how they're doing. Sometimes it'll be something simple like, hey, I hope you enjoy this Thanksgiving or I hope you enjoy the upcoming holidays. Uh, you don't necessarily have to go out to dinner with them or lunch or, or coffee. You don't necessarily have to buy them gifts, although those things absolutely help. But little check-ins from time to time to let them know that you're still actively looking for deals is important. For, at the end of the day, you know, a broker needs to make their commission. And they're, it, sometimes they forget about you too as a buyer, but they're always looking for buyers. And you don't have to schmooze them necessarily by, by buying them lunch or anything because they need a buyer as well. And that's their only source of income. That's their payday. So I check in with them frequently. And the ultimate objective at the, after you know, a couple of years of building these relationships is to get a, a deal passed to you as a pocket listing which is before it hits market. So in order to get a pocket listing, a broker has to trust you as somebody that, that can close a deal because they're not going to uh, show you a deal before it hits market unless they feel like you're a potential buyer that can actually close. And the reason why they wouldn't bring it to market right away is because there's work involved with that. But if they already know like, oh, the, Nico, he buys deals for around, around this price point. This might fit his, his buy box. I know what his buy box is. Let me call him first before going through the, the hoops of setting this up and doing a full marketing campaign for it. And let's see if he wants to buy it. Now, this has happened a number of times and that's where the gold lies, right? So after years of communicating and sharing how you look at deals with brokers and how you, you underwrite deals and, and what you're looking for, what your buy box is, they will hopefully give you pocket listings. What's been the key to you know, securing these deals? You, you got a deal in Nicaragua and Florida, and you just said that uh, the, your first deal in Ohio. So what's yeah. been the key to investing long distance? It's really relying on others. So you have to rely on boots on the ground partners like you and like Bob and like other people down in, in the Florida market and the, a good property manager that you can trust and build a relationship as well, because those are all the people that are on the front line. And if something's not being reported to me, you know, I don't have eyes on the property. If something's not being reported, I just don't know. And that could lead to a myriad of problems uh, from like unhappy tenants to, to like a failing system in the building. Perhaps like, I, you know, somebody that's on site could tell me whether or not a, a, a plumbing, there's a plumbing issue. And I wouldn't be able to know that from, from New York. So it's essential to have a boots on the ground partner. Beautiful, beautiful. Now, if you can give advice to the expiring investor, what would be your one your one piece that you would give? Patience. I think it's extremely important to understand that this is not a get rich quick game, but it is a get rich slow game. You just have to be patient. You have to trust the process, continue taking the same active steps every day for years, and it will pay off. I love it. I love it. Now we're going to switch to the last segment of the show with the three questions. Are you ready? I'm ready, my man. What is the most impactful speech or lesson that someone gave you that boosted your REI career? I think it was from my, I would say my mentor, uh, who is Mike Taravella. And, you know, it wasn't really a speech. It was just, you know, he called me up one day and he kind of smacked me into, into reality. He was like, all he said was, Nico, you got this. And it was just those simple words that I just needed to hear from somebody that has been through the ringer and also 
been successful to let me know and give me the confidence that, that I can actually do this. And, and I, I faltered on a few deals and he's, and he was not going to let that happen again. He said, Nico, stop it. You got this. And that's all I needed. I love that the encouragement is everything. Just letting, letting you know that, you know, you still got it. And what you said earlier, patience is key. Now, what are two books you would recommend someone to read um, to boost their career as well or get started? Yeah, one of the main books that I always recommend to people is the one that I read first. I'm, I'm not going to say the purple book because I already mentioned that. But the other one is Joe Fairless's book. It's like the best ever apartment syndication book that really helped me understand what syndication is about and how to get started in it. And also there's a ton of just free resources in there to get you started. And the other one is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, by Stephen Covey or Covey. That is one of my all-time favorite books. I've read it a number of times. And that just helps you plan not only your business life out properly, but your personal life, which is essential for success. If you neglect your personal life and your and your relationships, that will be your, your downfall and you'll never be successful in business. So he's got a really good formula for laying out um, your personal and business life. Love it. Last question. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be? That's a freaking awesome question, man. And I don't know. I didn't, I'm not a hundred percent planned for this, but I'm going to just say Tony Robbins. Um, I've never been to one of his events. I've, I've seen clips of him speaking. Uh, you know, I've read some of his books, but I want to get in. I, I really would love to just sit in front of him and have him smack me around and be, and smack me into place. Just like my mentor did knowing that he, his vast knowledge of, of his psychology and, and experience in, in business and life and, and relationships, I think would be crucial for me to go to the next level. Tony Robbins, I love it. Now for the audience, how can people reach you? All right, so the best way to get to me is my website. It's Small Axe Communities. That's small A-X-E communities.com. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Nico, I, I appreciate your time and I know the audience did as well. Um, thank you so much. And until next time, we got to bring you back on. Oh, you're the man, Emek. I truly appreciate you too, man. Thank you. Thank you. That was Nico, everybody. At the beginning of the podcast, I told you I give you three actionable steps that you can do today in order to get you close to your goals. Before that, please like and subscribe if you enjoyed this video and audio. It would mean a lot to me. First actual step that you can do, determine exactly how much you want a month and write it down. If you want to make $10,000 a month, that is investing $1.5 million into real estate with an 8% return to get you $10,000 a month. It's simple math. All you need to do is figure out exactly how much you want a month and then start working backwards to figure out how you can get there. All it takes is one step after the other. Secondly, if you're doing this for money, it won't work. You will get tired. So determine your why. Write down why you want to make that much money a month. Write down why you want to be successful. Write down your goals and determine why these are your goals. There has to be a deeper meaning to why you want to do what you want to do. And lastly, find yourself an accountability partner. Doing this thing alone is not easy. Doing it with people is not easy. But having a partner or having others with you who understands what you're trying to do makes the process so much more fun and enjoyable. Go through your contacts, go on your social media, figure out you know who you connect with and determine to see if they want to also join this journey with you and have their goals. 
Doing it alone is tough. Doing it with people makes things a lot easier and more fun. Until next time, I hope to see you.